0: If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out the Crossing Church Message podcast with Pastor Greg Dumas. Once again, thank you so much for listening. What is up, guys? Who's excited tonight? Make some noise. Come on. I like like energy. I'm an energy kind of guy. I'm excited to be here tonight to share the word with you guys. I want to thank Pastor Stephen. This is an honor and a privilege. It really is. I don't take these moments lightly. Um, So thank you, Pastor Stephen. I do have to be honest with you guys. Last time I was up here, I was nervous, so a little insight, I was done actually with my message in the first five minutes, Um, so you guys got a little story time last time, so give me grace on this one too, just in case, Um, but we're going to get rolling, I want to ask you a question, when you hear the word wilderness, what do you think of, Do do you picture yourself walking alone through like a jungle or a forest with fallen trees and Spanish moss and insects and animals making noises in the background? Yeah, certainly, that's one type of wilderness, but that's not the one I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about the one that we sometimes can go through that makes us feel like we're abandoned, unprotected, and vulnerable. You see, we all go through times when it seems like we are in a wilderness. No matter how or why we got there, I want you to know that there is a way out. Look to your neighbor and say, there is a way out. Tonight, we're going to look at ways we can win in our wilderness season because we were created for victory. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm created for victory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for this moment, Jesus. I, I, I pray that you would just use whatever you want, all of it, some of it, none of it, whatever it is, Lord, that you would, you would move through me. Father, these wouldn't be my words. These would be yours. And Jesus, that we would leave here changed. And that we would know your grace and your love in a newer way, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for my awesome note takers out there, the title of my message is Welcome to the Wilderness Where It's Okay to Suffer. I know you're probably looking at me like, Nick, what are you talking about, okay, and suffering? When I'm suffering, I'm not really feeling the best, but I want you to know that when you're suffering and going through seasons with God, that it's okay to suffer. Um, I think there's some points that we're gonna go through tonight that are gonna help us see What I mean by it's okay to suffer and help us identify the wilderness seasons in our lives so that we can navigate them well to have victory in seasons that seem wavering and almost feel like God isn't around or sometimes God doesn't exist. And I feel like these points really help narrow that down. Um, So my first one for tonight is what is the wilderness? I believe the wilderness is a time where we appear to be going in the opposite direction of the dreams and promises God once gave us. I don't want to pause right there. So the Bible says, and I, what I'm about to say, I want to preface it this way, that I don't, I don't mean this in an offensive way or I'm a better than you. I'm saying this as an encouragement to go deeper with God because his desire is to take you deeper than what you know now. Okay? The Bible says there's, there's a reward for those who diligently seek the Lord, not those who casually seek him every third Sunday of the month or whenever they please. And so, if you're sitting in the seat saying, "Man, I really never got a promise or a dream," I'm encouraging you to spend more time with Jesus on the days that end in why. So that means every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on and so forth, that you would spend it with Jesus, so you could see the promise that He has for your life. Um, uh, it's in these seasons of wilderness we feel uncomfortable, we feel we feel stressed out, we feel abandoned, we feel hopeless, and we ask ourselves sometimes, like God, like where are you at, man? Like you told me you were gonna get me to this point, and it feels like. We're going in a way completely different direction, uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna meet a man in Genesis 37 uh, named Joseph. If we can go there, chapter 37, uh, verse five, is what we're gonna pick up at, and it says Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. That's tough. Can you imagine your siblings hating you? I, uh, it's just. It's crazy. He said to them, listen, to this dream I had, we were binding sheaves of grain out the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Hold up. It's a little alarming. I I, I feel for Joseph's brothers right now, like, why they kind of hated him. Like, imagine, like, your little sibling, if you got siblings, or maybe your older sibling, just like, hey, one day, <laughs> you bow down to me. I said, I'm, I'm going to be a little offended. Like, my little sister came to me and was like, hey, one day I'm going to rule over you. I'm gonna be like, yeah, okay. Uh, no way impossible. So I feel for his brothers right now. Let's pick it up in, in verse 10. It says, When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. When you guys to think of this word, rebuked, as, like, a rejection and, like, a casting out for a moment. Because now we kind of have to position ourselves. Of, okay, I, I get how Joseph's brothers felt for a minute of, like, oh, I got to bow down to you. But now we have to see how Joseph really feels right now when his family kind of, like, just rebuked him a little bit. Being rejected, being casted out. It doesn't, doesn't feel the best. Correct? Right? Come on, you guys going to have to intera- interact with me. There's going to be some, a lot of talking. So, Correct? All right, cool. Come on, man. I like energy. All right, so let's pick it back up Uh, in verse 26. It says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brother pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took them. Took him to Egypt. They done sold their brother to slavery, y'all. And for twenty shekels, if you convert that to U.S. dollars, that's six dollars. Yeah, laugh, man. I laughed I was like, oh man, they done sold their brother for six. Years. I can't even get a quarter tank with that, man. Like, come on, bro. I'm buy a gallon of milk with that six dollars. Like, come, on, like ah, right, there's no way. I want us to see here and understand though, when when they sold Joseph into slavery. They were selling Joseph's, like, lineage to slavery, too. Like, back then, it was Joseph's. If he had a wife, it was going to be his wife, and then his kids. And then if those kids had kids, it would be those kids, and, and so on and so forth. would be so bound up in slavery. And there was no way. There was, like, no way out. Um, but God was, God was good to him in this moment because um, as a slave, he then ends up getting exalted up to be, like, the slave of all slaves. And what we learn in modern history becomes, like, the house, the house slave. Uh, if we could pick it up in Genesis 39, verses 6. But before I do that, hold on, let me slow down. Before I do that, I want to touch, like, one more thing on Joseph so we can understand where he's at in, in chapter 37. So, I, like I mentioned before, like, the siblings. Imagine coming home one day from work and your sibling telling you that they sold your room. How, like, messed up that would feel. I and mean, then you, had, like, had to leave. and Like, you left. i I'd be kind of annoyed if my little sister was like, hey, yeah, this man on the side of the road needed room and yours was up for grabs. Like, what? What's talking about? So I want us to get in that, like, trying to get into Joseph's shoes a little bit to see, like, okay, how have I been down this path before in my life? Um, so let's pick it up in chapter 39, verse 6. It says, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. I want to pause right there. So this man was supposed to rule over Egypt. This was what his vision was. His family was going to bow to him, all, all this stuff. Sold to slavery by his own family. He was betrayed by them rebuked by them, rejected by them. And now the master's wife is trying to sleep with him. That's, that's a little crazy. Let's pick it back up. And it says, it says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I want, I want us to put this in this, in a little bit more of a modern perspective for us for a moment. You ever been around people that are like really pushy? Come on. Come on, man. Come on. I need, I need, I need interaction, guys. Uh, and so... When you're around people that are pushy and they're like they like push them and throw themselves on you, it kind of like puts your guard up and you're like, "Eh, get away, right?" It's so Joseph's kind of like in that in that feeling for a moment. He's like, "No, no, 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 no! I don't want to do this. Like, I answer to way higher people than you do. Like, my master's gonna like chop my head off if I end up sleeping with you. So that didn't happen, and on top of that, I'm not sinning against God for you." And I felt when I read that scripture, by the way, that's a whole other word for somebody. I ain't sinning against God for you. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but take it or leave it, you know what I mean? Um, So let's pick it back up. And it says in verse 11, one day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And now she's getting, like, abusive. Like, at this point, this lady is abusive. She's aggressive. And she's just far fetched doing way too much. And this man is having to stand firm on a promise that was given to him at this time, I would say like years ago. Right? His integrity is about to be in question. And here we see it here is when she's in verse 13 it says when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had ran out of the house, she called her household servants and said, Look. She said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. I want to skip a little bit to verse 19. It says, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This man was fleeing from sexual immorality. He's being a man of integrity and valor thrown into prison. He was once promised to be in charge and over Egypt. And right now he's sitting in a prison cell. How many of us have felt like that? Like God gave us a promise and we're so far from it that we're, we're sitting in a prison cell. We see Joseph's promise by God in chapter 37. And as we fast forward a little bit, he's betrayed by his family, thrown into slavery, and accused of sleeping with Potiphar's wife. But yet, yeah, he's supposed to be the ruler of Egypt. My second point for tonight is what is the purpose of our wilderness seasons and why? I have to suffer. Here goes your reasoning for why it's okay to suffer. See, I believe that the wilderness seasons are truly used to train, purify, refine, prepare you for what God is going to do next in your life and lives around you. If you don't take notes on anything else tonight, this is the one thing I want you, please, 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 just jot this down, engrave it on your heart. The wilderness is where real kingdom work takes place in your life. You can't expect to move in the power of God if you haven't sat and been prepared and edified and trained and purified and refined. You can't expect to operate in power in your old man. You got to go through some dirt. You got to go through some things to get it uprooted and out of your life so you can see the the kingdom of heaven come in your life and then come through your life. How people are impacted are when the power of heaven comes through them, but they don't get the power through them unless they've spent time with God and gone through some stuff. We see these great pastors, you know, like Michael Todd and Stephen Furtick and all these other guys, but they've been through some stuff. Their life looks glamorous on the outside and on these streams and on their Instagram posts, but they've been through some stuff. And so... Where you're at in this season, I want you to know that it's okay to go through some stuff. That doesn't, it does not the end all, be all. This isn't a means to an end. This is just a means to a beginning, to be honest with you. You see, when we go through these wilderness seasons, we allow, it allows us to become more fruitful. We get peace. We get love, kindness, all the stuff that's found in Galatians 5. We get all of that. And I want to share a story with you guys when I started the internship program. I was like, "All right, cool, man. I'm walking in God's promise. Like, okay, cool, God. You call me the full-time ministry, vocational ministry. This is what I'm gonna do. Wasn't in my plans, but Your way's better. Let's rock it out. Cool. I'm walking in it. And then I see some of the some of the stuff that has been like promised over. Like He promised me some of the prophetic words that were prophesied over me. Like come to pass. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is this is cool. Like this is a cakewalk for me. And then all of a sudden, towards like the summer, this past summer, like. Things just came to a halt for me with, with the Lord. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why do I feel like I'm in circles and in such a dry area? Like, why can't I connect to God? Why do I feel, and I began to feel so many things. I, I thought, I was so doubtful of like, asking the questions to certain people. Like, did I jump into this too early? This is where I'm really supposed to be. Did I miss it? Did it, did it just look like a good opportunity for me? And I was so like, in such a, a short wilderness season, and I want to preface that by saying your seasons vary. Sometimes they're six days, six months, six weeks, six years, whatever it is. They vary for every individual and in what God wants to do with you. Um, and this one lasted for a few months where I just was so doubtful. And it wasn't until like I surrendered my will of not knowing what was going on to God to say, okay, God, whatever it is, I'm going to be obedient to you. God really took care of me. God really took care of some childhood hood wounds that that have happened in my life when dealing with rejection when it came to my parents. And I'm still dealing with it today. But it wouldn't have come to the surface if God wasn't trying to do something new in me. Right, so he had to, all right, look, that's all good, man. You're getting to speak, you're you're getting to be powerful to people, impact people, you're doing what I'm asking you, cool, but let's stop for a second. And I think the one thing that I've learned in this And that's in that season is sometimes we get so caught up in the promises of God that we forget about God. Like God, God, I really believe God's heart is that we would just focus on him and he would make a way for us. But when we focus on the promise, we begin to make a way for ourselves. And that's why people get tired. That's why people get burned out. Honestly, if I can be really honest with you, I believe this is why some of the greatest speakers and teachers of the gospel fall off is because they begin to focus on the promise of God and do it themselves, and they get burnt out. And then enemy comes and is like, oh, you're doing it on your own. I got you now, buddy. You ain't got no help, no covering, no nothing. I got you where I want you. And God's just saying, if you would just focus on me, if you would just fix your focus, you would behold me, you would behold my presence, I will make a way for you, and and so I didn't understand that at at that time, but now, and as I was prepping for for tonight, I really, like, understood, like, okay, God, I see what you did there. I see what you were doing in my life and what you were asking me to do. Like, this was the moment that you were preparing me for. It was so that way I could share what you were doing in dry seasons of our lives that we wouldn't give up. Like, honestly... We were we were talking earlier this this evening before service and I really felt that like our generation when stuff gets hard we quit like we like it's just when it's too hard for us we just like kind of fold our hands with it and we just throw it to the side. Right? Am I wrong? Come on, talk to me. God does not deserve. He doesn't want you to shelf him because the season is hard in your life. And I think, especially for newer believers that are following this walk, I don't know why because I was in that same boat when I became a believer, when I first became a like fully devoted Christ follower. I thought it was going to be like all my problems were going away and then life just got a little bit harder. And I think Because it got hard is why people honestly get out of even following Jesus, and they just go do their own thing. And I think it's in these seasons that it's imperative that we stay focused on God and not so much the promises of God, because then when we focus on the promises of God, we're doing it in our own strength. And we say, God, I don't need you. And the truth of the matter is we need God more than ever in our lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. Point number three is your promise is in the process. Here is where your victory is found. Say, this is my victory. I want to tell you that how we handle our wilderness seasons is very, very important. We can navigate it well or we can wander in circles until our head falls off. You see, when we look at Joseph's story, we see him by many things, things that would have Put us all, I feel, set us all back for a minute and be like, yo, what is really going on up in here? Like I'm supposed to be ruling over Egypt. I'm sitting in a prison cell, right? But Joseph handled it. Joseph handled it so well that what was setbacks to us were step forwards for him. And he had such a heart posture that was like, God, what do I do next for you? And we can see this in Genesis 40, verses 6 through 23, if we could go there. Um, It says, when Joseph came to the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, we're in custody. His master's in the house. Why do you look so sad today? Verse 8 says, we both had dreams. So the cupbearer and the baker, chief baker, kind of lost their job and were sent to prison. And they have these dreams from God. And so they only know to go to... To the one person who had a dream, Joseph, and it says that they had a dream, but there is no one to interpret them, and then Joseph said to them, and this is so crucial, do, do not interpretations belong to God, tell me your dreams, and I know you're like, bro, all he did was ask them what their dreams were, right, but yeah, he may have just asked him, yeah, what's your, what's your dream, but let's be realistic, if I was Joseph, I would have told them, bro, I once had a dream too, and I'm sitting in the cell block, eating jail food, being treated like a peasant. Kick rocks with your dreams. I once had them too. You're going to end up just like me. Right? How many times do we pass on our negative experiences to people? Right? But he had an approach that said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to do that. God, I, I want to do what you want me to do. Tell me your dreams. So he tells them, and then it ends up, I'm not, you can put it up on the screen. I'm not going to really read through it. Um, the chief cut has a vision of that uh Joseph translates for him and says, You're gonna get your job back and you're gonna want you're gonna be cup the cupbearer for Pharaoh again. Um and then the chief baker has like this really like terrible, terrible dream that he thought was like, Oh, this is gonna be good for me because the the cupbearer had a good dream. His head like gets chopped off, he ends up dying. Um uh, because later in the verse it says we can pick it up here in verse 20. It says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. He gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Uh, verse 23, very, very, very key for what I'm about to say next. It says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So after Joseph told the cupbearer his dream of, Hey man, you're gonna get your job back, he was like, Look, man, when you get your job back, don't forget about me, okay? Remember what I did for you. I I, I gave you clarity, like, look out for me, you know, say a good word, get me out of this prison cell. I did nothing to deserve this. And the dude forgot. History would up until this moment, history shows that this is seventeen years. 17 years, so two more years follows before even, he can even experience and get a taste of, his, of the promise that God once gave him. You see, Joseph, Joseph's approach in this whole thing really had me like, check myself in areas like, God, am I, just, am I willing to just do things even if I haven't even experienced your goodness in that situation? Ask yourself that. Because Joseph, who hadn't even had a touch yet of what God promised him and gave him a vision on, still was faithful, and still had a positive outlook on it, and was still willing to help people. How many times, like like I said, do we just walk through seasons where we're just like, man, this stinks, and so then we just project that on everybody else? I think God really just wants us in seasons that seem so hard, not to project negativity, but to see it as a setup for what he's doing next in our lives, and begin to speak life and positivity and scripture over people. So in chapter 41, Joseph, this is two years after being forgotten, mind you. So 19 years. We have the audacity sometimes to complain about six months of the dry season. This dude did 19 years, y'all. That's a heart check all in itself. I complain about six days when I feel like God, like, yo, bro, where you been at? I've been asking you for answers on this and it's taking you a little too long. This dude waited 19 years. (laughs) Bro, couldn't be me. That's why Joseph had to do it because it couldn't have been me. See chapter forty-one. So yeah, Joseph gets placed in charge of Egypt. Um, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you know, has a dream and he's like, "Man, I don't have anybody that's smart enough to kind of interpret this for me. Can we find somebody?" And the cupbearer says, "Oh, I remember to the days of my pit of a guy named Joseph." And they say, "All right, bring Joseph up to me. I need, I need, I need translation on this. I need interpretation." And so, um. Joseph goes ahead and he translates the dream for him, and he basically says, Egypt's about to experience 17 years of abundance, but seven years of famine as well. And Pharaoh's like blown away. Pharaoh's like, man, there's nobody wise enough to discern this thing, but you, you're in charge. Like, okay, cool. I don't think that's how Joseph expected, you know, the promise. I think he like, expected like this fire, for me at least, I would have at least expected like this firework moment in my brain, like, wow, it's all coming to pass. It was just like an on-the-spot, like, all right, you're in charge. You got this. It was like, whoa, okay, wait a minute. I was just in prison like 20 minutes ago, bro. Um, And so Joseph does this, and I'm glad, in a sense, that it took him 19 years to understand this because I believe that if God would have released Joseph to be in charge of Egypt the day he got his dream. Egypt would have been ruined. They would have been led by a guy who was so proud and so arrogant and so careless and so narcissistic and so immature that the seven years of abundance and seven years of famine, honestly, I believe would have been like 14 years of famine and so much more of longer than 19 years of the wilderness that he experienced. You see, God often takes us into things because we aren't fully ready for what he wants to release onto us. You see, the promise that he gives us, I believe, is just an insight to the next step that we gotta take. I think honestly, the promise is a heads up, like, hey, we're going here, so be prepared to go through some mess run real quick, because we gotta get you up to speed. God gave Joseph a promise, he took him through a wilderness season, and then he fulfilled the promise to Joseph. So we can think that to our lives. There's gonna come a promise, a dream, a vision, whatever it is. Expect the wilderness. In the wilderness, if you navigate it well, hear me. This is the, I believe this is the Father's heart. If you, if you navigate it well, you will experience victory and you will experience the promises of God for your life. I want to take a look real quick at Job. Job had a very similar story to Joseph. I think Job probably had the worst, I mean, I don't know. I think he has the worst, in our modern slang, luck in the world. I mean, this man was tried day and night to the point where, like, his wife was like, bro, curse God and let's go, bro. And he was like, no. And she was like, how are you not? Like, you're losing everything. But if we go to Job 23, verse 8, it says, but if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When, he's at, when he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. I want to stop there for just a second. The worship team, you can make your way up. Verses eight through nine, our testament that even when we don't believe, like we don't feel it, we don't see it, it doesn't make sense. God is always working in our lives. For real, trust that, believe that. That's the word. That's not like me coming up with some something to blow smoke to you. This is scripture. It, it, he is working even when. We don't see it when we don't feel it in our lives. Let's pick it up back up in, in verse 10. It says, but he knows the way that I take when he has tested me. That word tested can sometimes freak us out, but that, that word tested is the wilderness season. He's testing you, and you will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the word of his mouth more than my daily bread. 11 and 12 are the very thing on how to navigate your wilderness season. Okay, copy that, paste it in your notes. 11 and verse 12, my feet have closely followed his steps. So closely follow Jesus. Keep to his way without turning aside. Do not depart from his commands and treasure his words. It's how you can navigate and be obedient in your wilderness season so that way you can experience and have your promise fulfilled. But I want to take one more, just one more, just a little quick second on verse 10 when he talks about us coming forth as gold. You see, Scripture tells us that the streets of heaven are made of gold. And so when we look at gold, when it's really refined and purified, it becomes soft and pliable. You can squish it, you can mold it to whatever you want it to be. And then when gold is at its purest state, It's transparent. You can see right through it. And so when you come forth as gold, as pure gold, people no longer see you. They see Jesus through you. See, when you come forth as pure gold, people no longer see who you used to be. They no longer see your old man. They see the new person and the new thing that Jesus had created. They see the king of kings through you. I think it's okay to go through a little bit of pain to, for people to see Jesus in me. Can we agree? What are you willing to do to be purified and actually experience what it's like to be in the image of Christ? Are you going to quit in your wilderness season, or are you going to stay steadfast? Are you going to stay to His commandments? Are you going to cherish His Word more than your daily bread? That choice is yours. See, Jesus went into the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit, but he left in power. I believe God wants us to come out in power and in victory. See, we have to navigate these seasons well. We do that, like Job said, being obedient, following his commands, walking in step with him, and cherishing his word. That's you tonight. If you if you are going through a wilderness season, a dry season where you're kind of questioning where God's been at in your life, that should be real with each other. I mean, this is like I said, this is where real kingdom work happens in our lives. If, if that's you, can you just raise your hand? I want you those those that you raise your hand, I want you to keep I want you to change your posture for a second to a posture of receiving. Because um, in preparation, God gave me this, this word of encouragement for, for, for people that are specifically in this wilderness season to just kind of question, like, God, where, are you really, where have you really been at? And so if we could just, like, close our eyes and kind of, like, just extend our hands out like this, just receive. Like, just have a posture of being receptive to what God has for you felt the Lord just tell me in my quiet time prepping for tonight, that sometimes it's hard to see God working in the middle of our story. We want to trust his heart, but we can't seem to trace his hand. He said that he's not done. What may seem like God's inactivity is never his inability, because he is always able. There are four things that are going to be found in this wilderness season that you're going to need, and it's going to be the revelation of who God is, revelation of who you are, revelation of your purpose, and revelation of God's love for you. See, when we suffer fruitlessness and desolation with calmness and faithfulness, we testify our love for God. But when he visits us with the sweetness of his presence, he testifies his love for us. What looks like an ending is just an intermission for God to prepare the second act. And this last thing that he told me, I felt him tell me, I really could relate to, is that the wilderness season is not punishment, it's preparation. And if I can be real with you guys for a second, like, when I would go through stuff, I like, like, God, why are you, why are you punishing me? Like I'm, I'm, I'm walking in step of what you've called me to do, and it feels as if, like, I've done something wrong, or if I've fallen just a little bit short, they're like, you're punishing me, Why? God saying, nah, man, I'm not coming here to punish you. I've got grace and love and mercy over your life. I'm here to prepare you for what I'm trying to do next. And so if you could just receive that tonight, and you would apply this, if you, need a, if you were one who raised your hand and you want a picture of that so you can bring it to him every day in prayer, come find me, you can take a picture of it because I only have one copy. And I may need it one day down the road. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you. I thank you that there's always a way out when we follow you. Jesus, I thank you that you sent your son on the cross. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice that had to be made. Lord, I just ask that you would continue to train us, to purify us, to edify us. So that way we can be prepared for what you're trying to do next. That way we don't have to be bench warmers, but we can be active participants in the move of God. Father, I thank you for the simplicity found in your word. I thank you that even when we can make things bigger than what it is, Father, you simplify it so simple for us. Father, I think you that you're a caring Father, that you're a loving Father, that you're a merciful and graceful Father. I really just feel like God is asking us to just surrender the promise. So if you can just lift your hands with me as a sign of surrender, you can stand up, you can stand up, you can, you can get in the posture of surrender, however it looks like for you. Just, we can lift our hands, just repeat after me. Jesus, I surrender. I desire your will for my life. My desire is to focus on you. I trust you with every step that I take in my life. Father, purify me. Refine me. Send me, God. So, Father, this is our declaration to you. This is our surrender to you, Jesus. Father, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. All God's people said. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out the Crossing Church Message Podcast with Pastor Greg Dukas. Once again, thank you so much for listening.